Well, hey there, welcome to In The Growth Space. This is the show for business owners and leaders who have a thirst for growth. My name is David McGlennon. I really appreciate you listening in. You know, over the last several weeks, it's been really cool to get some notes from our listeners on the wide range of, of people who I've had the opportunity to, to hold conversations with. And, you know, if that's you, thank you so much. I, I really want to just give a quick shout out to uh, Andy and Mike and Nick, who have all given me some kind of a message of uh, one of their biggest learnings from uh, a, a guest over the last several weeks. And I'm really honored uh, to bring these guests to you. And I, I'm, I'm super grateful to the guests who share their story with all of us, because I believe that we can learn from everyone. And before we get started today, let me just say that I, I want to let you know that we now have the Inner Circle Summit date set and the registration is open. So on Friday, December the 10th, 2021, we're going to have leaders from countries from literally around the world gathering together here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to be challenged and encouraged in their leadership. And if you'd like to register, you can grab the early bird rate now if you go to davidmcglennon.com forward slash inner circle summit. And that's all lowercase. So davidmcglennon.com forward slash inner circle summit. And if you get there before November the 20th, 2021, we'll have the early bird rate for you. And um, just a, a quick note, because we do have a smaller venue we do have a limit on our registrations, and, and two years ago, we did sell out. So if you wanna you know, just calibrate your team and, and really go through an experience of, of working on your business rather than in it, go get registered today. Now, we are also creating a VIP session, and that's an option that you can, you can uh, take advantage of on Thursday evening, December the 9th. And, we're going to have a couple of the speakers and facilitators uh, there sharing a, a little bit uh, different take than what they'll uh, share on, uh, on on Friday. It's going to be very intimate, and it's going to be a small group setting, and, and that group is is even going to be smaller. Um, but you'll get a chance to ask them questions, ask them uh, kind of a Q&A, an open Q&A uh, about their own growth journey. And uh, you'll have that option to add uh, that that to your registration as well. Now, on today's show, we have a very special guest in Ken Pasternak. Now, he's truly an international citizen, and I'm super honored to have him on the podcast in this episode today. Now, to give you a little bit of his background, Ken has held leadership positions at Citibank and the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. He's lived in the USA, France, Finland, United Kingdom, Turkey, and Belgium before returning to Helsinki in 1996. He's an author, he's a consultant, and a keynote speaker, and Ken focuses on building high-performance organizations through visionary leadership, team effectiveness, creating a winning culture, and improving cross-cultural understanding. So for those of you who know me and have been listening to the podcast for a while, you can see why I wanted to have him on. Now, in March of 2019, he was selected to join Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches Global Movement, which is an incredible honor. He's the co-author of Performance at the Limit, 
Business Lessons from Formula One Motor Racing, published by Cambridge University Press. And it's in its third edition, and it's translated into Japanese, Turkish, and Mandarin Chinese. The book also served as an inspiration for an eight-part BBC World Television series titled Formula for Success. That one's actually on my Netflix uh, watch list, so I can't wait to get started on that one. Now, Ken has been called the Indiana Jones of cultural adventures, and he's recently published a book called Exploding Turkeys and Spare Trousers, Adventures in Global Business. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hear one of the stories that he shares in that book uh, on this podcast. Now, he does share uh, a number of stories in that book, and, and each of them has a key takeaway that will be useful to executives and just casual readers. Ken's a graduate of Yale University. He's a dual Finland-US citizen and splits his time between Helsinki, Finland and Boca Raton, uh, Florida. Now, he's got a really uh, great story and we had a really um, uh, engaging conversation with some of his uh, some of those stories. And, and so let's just go ahead and get into the growth space with Ken Pasternak now. Well, hey Ken, welcome to In the Growth Space. I'm very excited to have you on today. It's great to be here with you, David. Look forward to chatting with you. Yeah, yeah. So you have had a, a lot of global business experience in, 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 a, in a few different industries. And, uh, you know, your background's fascinating. And I know we're going to get into this here in a minute, but uh, about your, your affiliation with Formula One racing and mm-hmm. you, you, wrote, you actually wrote a book about it. So just kind of give us a little in a, in a capsule. Like, how did you get to where you are today? Okay, well, I'll try to be short. But, I know uh, that's a big, big uh, question, right? <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs of New York City and uh, went to Yale and got a degree in engineering. But I wasn't sure I wanted to be an engineer. Hmm. I had a chance to study in Paris after I graduated. And I spent a year and I loved it. And I just felt so comfortable in Europe. And my French became fluent. But I ran out of money and I had to get a job. <laughs> So I came back to New York, and after a very systematic search, I found myself working at Citibank Hmm. in corporate banking. And I had never had accounting, I had never had economics, but they put me through programs taught by professors from noted business schools. And I picked it up quite quickly and was lucky to have a few good mentors Hmm. and tutors in in the bank. So I spent six years in New York as a corporate banker. I was working with large companies that were in the retail business, Toys Mm. R Us, supermarket chains, fast food chains, and it was great fun. Mm. But I kept saying every year at my performance review, I want to go back overseas. And Citibank was huge. It still is, but the biggest international bank at the time. So they sent me to London and they sent me to work and teaching in the training center for European bankers. Did that for a couple of years, developed some new skills. Uh, then I went back into banking, per se, and went to Helsinki, mm-hmm. where Citibank was the first foreign bank in Finland. Oh. Uh, spent four years there, had a great experience, mm. uh, including meeting my Finnish wife while yeah. I was there. I love it. And then with my Finnish wife and our two children, we then went to Istanbul, and I was lent to the Central Bank of Turkey to build a banking school, a residential banking school for the oh. Turkish bankers. I took a 10,000 square meter uh, dilapidated hotel and turned it into a world-class teaching institution. 
I then went to Brussels uh, with the family and I joined a group in Citibank that did consulting for other banks. Oh, wow. So we were competing with the McKinsey's and, and yeah. the BCG's of, of the world. Um, but um, as you can see, I was moving away from banking and more into consulting and right. organization development. And I did that for three years, traveling mm -hmm. extensively around Europe and, and Eastern Europe as well. Uh, I had experience in Hungary before the Berlin Wall came down, for example. Oh, wow. Wow. And they also actually sent me to China. Hmm. And I helped build a, uh, a bank training center, which is what I became known for in the world of international finance, the World Bank and the IMF. Yeah. And I did that in Hungary. I did that in Poland. Um, and then I left Citibank and joined another bank called the European Bank for, for Reconstruction and Development. Hmm. That was in London. Okay. And that bank was established in 91 to assist the transition of Eastern European and former Soviet Union countries to market okay. economies. Oh, wow. So I went back to my strengths. I built a team and we started to build training, teaching, banking, training institutions hmm. all over Eastern Europe, uh, Uzbekistan, Russia, places like this. And we got a new president at one point in time. Uh, after the first few years. And he wasn't quite sure he wanted my department to continue in the way that it was. Hmm. But we were doing most of our work through donor funds, money donated by countries to help us develop our, our projects. So I proposed an outsourcing. And I said, I'll take the team private and we will use up the funds that we have available. And then you can decide what to do after that. And that set me into the path of becoming a, an independent consultant. Ah, nice. uh, and we moved the family back to Finland and I've been in Helsinki ever since. That's 96. Wow, that's amazing. Well, with all of the, 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 the business travel that you've done, I, I, I'm kind of curious, I guess, what has that done for you, like for your, your own maybe personal growth, just the, this, just the travel to the different yeah. cultures, the different countries, I mean, I got to believe that that in itself was a growth journey for you. Tremendous one. And uh, it continues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, huh. One learns to be very open-minded, yeah. to be less judgmental, mm. to be, understand that there's more to behaviors than what outwardly, outwardly appears. Right. You know, we all can understand culture mm -hmm. in different cultures at a superficial level, music, food. Yeah. Old clothes they wear, but underneath that, there's some values and beliefs, yeah. which have created those behaviors and th those ways of doing things. Mm. And so, when you live abroad for a long period of time and you work in depth with people in different cultures, you begin to get below the surface, sure. and you need to do that mm. in order to try to affect change. Because yeah. if you try to affect change at a very superficial level, even if you're an American working in the USA, it doesn't yeah. work. Right, you have right. to get below the surface to those mm. reasons why people do what they do and think what they think. Wow. So I continue to explore this, uh, make <laughs> mistakes, learn sure. along the way. Yeah. Uh, I become a student of it. Uh, so I think I've figured out a lot, but yeah, every new experience is, is, is a new journey. Well, it's fascinating to me, and I actually didn't know that we were going to go here in this conversation, but I mean, when you talk about 
getting below the surface. I, I think that's so, to me, that's so fascinating of like, you know, yeah, we can find out about why a certain country has this kind of a custom with their food or that kind of thing, but, but actually their behaviors and getting below the surface on there that to me, that has, I mean, that human behavior has to be really um, integral in, in doing business and, and actually getting to know the people at a much deeper level. I'm, I'm curious, like, what are some, some ways that you've done that? What are some ways that you've gotten to know people at a, at a deeper, deeper level in, in different cultures? Well, let let me first even tell a story about being an American in America. Yeah. And it's a story I have in, in my new book, Exploding Turkeys and Spare Trousers. And after about four years in New York, I wanted to learn more about real estate lending. Yeah. So Citibank sent me on a one week course about real estate lending. And uh, it's, you know, real estate market is very tough. Contractors, mm-hmm. developers are not easy people to work with. Sure. Uh, and we did case studies as one does in, in business school kind of setting. And one case study was about a man who was running a business, a contracting business. And as a group, we read the case, talked about it, and took this guy apart. Hmm. We thought he was unscrupulous. We thought hmm. he was dishonest. All, and then we said things out loud in very bad ways wow. in the classroom. <laughs> so when we finished, the professor, the teacher stood up and said, okay, well, thank you for that discussion. Now, you all were thinking about this person as a bad actor. If you turn around and see the gentleman sitting behind you, that's him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we were very embarrassed. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, but he got up and he explained the storyline from his point of view. Mm. And of course, case uh, studies are written to be controversial and, sure, and sure. so on. But it really taught me a lesson that you have to walk in someone's shoes mm-hmm. to understand mm. their motivations. Yeah. Because once he told us you know, what he was thinking, why he acted the way he did, it became a, quite a different story. Yeah. than the story we had a, you know, imposed on, on him from what mm. we read. Right, so right. that's an American in America story, but the same is true everywhere. You really have to yeah. walk in someone else's shoes and try to yeah. get to that level to understand their motivations and their actions. Yeah. You know, it's gosh, that's a lesson and a story for like, for now more than ever, I think we have to be able to walk in, in each other's shoes and, and really understand what, what's going on for each other. And, you know, it's I a, mean, that's, it's a sad case, David, and we won't want to go there in this conversation, right, but right. from a distance, one can look at America oh, yeah. and see how polarized it has become. Uh, yeah. And, you know, another thing that I talked about in some of my stories and, and when I work with groups is the, the importance of communication and mm-hmm. within communication, the importance of listening. Yes, yes. And right now, it's sad to see that we may be hearing each other, but we're not listening to each other. Exactly. And and that's making it very hard to break through Mm -hmm. and to reach compromise towards common good, common elements that could help us walk the path together rather than walk separately. Yeah. So that's a sad thing. But as, you know, teaching leaders, as you do, uh, you know, we talk so much about the importance of sharing your message, your vision very carefully, but we equally have to talk about listening <laughs> yeah, and oh. getting feedback. 
That's so that's so good. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but but I just you know, it's, so it's interesting because a couple of episodes ago, um, I actually I don't even know how many episodes ago it is now, but we actually had my son on uh, the podcast and and he and I were talking about improvisation. He's a jazz musician. He's a musician, oh. a professional musician. And, and one of the things that he said was th- that was important to improv is listening. And, and he said, I can imagine it's probably the same in, in leadership as well. And I just, I think that that, that, I mean, it really hit me that listening is is really, I think, the fundamental skill of communication. And if we can get to the mm-hmm. point where we are listening at that deep mm-hmm. level, not in a judgmental way or not mm-hmm. in a way to refute something that somebody's saying, but really understand what they, what's going on in their head and well, like, how did they come to that conclusion? And, or what did they, what led to them, you know, uh, coming to that position? Just it's so fascinating. And I'm so glad that you said well, that because I think it's really important. Well, I'm also a very big fan of improv in the corporate setting. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this, the second principle apart from listening, number one, number two is the principle of yes and. In improv. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, if, if you look at some of the work of one of my mentors of people I admire, Marshall Goldsmith, very much, yeah. Marshall will say, that how often do you see leaders saying, yes, but, or however, mm-hmm. or I hear you, but I think, mm-hmm. or I think this, rather than saying yes, and, and let's build, let's build yes. together yes. on an idea, rather than cutting it off, because yeah. I know everything, right. and, you know, stop talking. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think improv is a marvelous tool to be using in, in the corporate setting for leaders to learn to, to listen, to be supportive, empathetic, um, and to build esprit, build yeah. you know, excitement within a group. Oh, that's, I'm so glad that you said that because one of the things that we do in my Emerging Leader Group um, is we create um, environments where we have to improv, where we, we have to improvise a, a one minute talk. Uh, we have to be able to improvise, you know, a, a conversation a, anyways, just, yeah, the improv, I agree a hundred percent. That's great. Well, you, you, you alluded to your, your most recent book and we're going to get there, but before we get to exploding turkeys, we have to go to formula one because I know there's a few people that listen to the podcast that myself included that, that love formula one racing. And, and I think there's so many great lessons I'm sure from formula mm. one that you've learned, you, you, you wrote a book. Um, it, it is lessons, uh, per- performance at the limit, uh, lessons I, from if, formula one. If, can I do a shameless plug? And Absolutely. I'll show it. it. So, yeah. So this is you it. Can see it there. there we Absolutely. Go. So All for right. those of you who are, are listening only on the podcast, you got to go to the YouTube uh, channel and, and check out the, the book that uh, he just showed, that Ken just showed. Uh, it, yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess one of the questions that got me curious about your affiliation with Formula One is, I guess, maybe what the biggest lesson is about performance and growth from Formula One. It, maybe, it's, maybe it's something that's surprising. Maybe it's something that you discovered. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm just kind of curious about that. Yeah, I mean, performance in Formula One is about innovation, technology, and teamwork. Mm. And 
the important element to allow all that to work is no different than any other company, and that's creating the right kind of culture. Yeah, yeah. You need to create a culture where leaders lead, but lead in a way that allows people to do their thing, to grow, to mm -hmm. learn, to experiment. Yeah. There's no innovation without experimentation. Mm -hmm. And the term that's become very, very you know, well-known, psychological safety. Yes. Allowing yes. people the space to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because if they're afraid to make mistakes, they'll never go toward the edge of the envelope yeah. or perform at the limit or over the limit yeah. if necessary. Yeah. So what we see in Formula One is a combination of all these things. And this is what fascinates me about Formula One. It's, yes, I enjoy watching the races, but understanding how a team of, in some cases, six, seven, eight hundred people came yeah. together to get that car to work with its driver in its optimum performance mm. opportunity. Yeah. And it's a combination of people and technology mm -hmm. and making them work together. Uh, you know, I came at it by being asked to teach a program, design and teach a program for a law firm. Okay. To teach lawyers business acumen, take them out of their comfort of law and do a course which was a, a kind of a role play course or a simulation mm. where they had to develop a strategy for entering formula one <laughs> and uh ran that course three years 50 times oh. for about 1500 lawyers from around the world mm. uh, we found that it was useful for teaching the concepts of leadership teamwork innovation managing change mm. and all of that we found that it wasn't just toys for boys. The women attorneys were as active and interested as um, any and everyone else. And we also found it was global because Formula One in a normal year is raced in 23 countries on five different continents. So uh, it, it really struck a bell. And in 96, uh, my two colleagues and I wrote this book, Performance at the Limit, Business Lessons from Formula One published by Cambridge University Press in the UK. Mm -hmm. And it was immediately translated into Japanese. And then wow. two years later, we made an eight part TV series with the BBC called Formula for Success. Oh, and wow. the eight parts were, each part was a different chapter. Hmm. And then we wrote a second edition. And then in 2006, I think, no, 2016, we rewrote the book into a third edition at the request of the publisher. Yeah. And that's been published in Turkish and in Chinese, Mandarin oh, Chinese. Wow, that's amazing. So it, it really um, has legs, if you will. It, it's a yeah. concept that because Formula One is growing in popularity, even in the United States, yeah, absolutely. with a race in Austin and next year a race in Miami, right. uh, has, has allowed me to teach on MBA programs, to do corporate work, mm. keynote speaking, yeah. to share these lessons from Formula One. Yeah. Well, and, and, and talk about teamwork for just a minute, because I, I, you know, I know there's the, the integration with technology and people, how do you, like, what was the, maybe what's one of the bigger lessons from teamwork um, that you found in Formula One? What, like, what was, what would. Well, well the, the, the ultimate example is the pit stop. Right. That's That's where my head went to, but I wasn't sure, you know, that could be somewhere else actually. Okay. 18, 20 people working on a car as it comes in at 60 miles per hour, yeah. stops on a dime. Yeah. And 
the world record for changing all four tires before the car takes away is 1.82 seconds. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> I think it takes me it's hours that. to change one tire. <laughs> well, looking at some of the old films of Formula One, it's just what you see. But uh, yeah. <laughs> now to think how can it, and typically the teams are doing two seconds, 2.5 seconds. Yeah. Uh, how do they do that? And it has the same things that has to do with any team creation, mm-hmm. the right person on the right job. Yeah. You know, right. someone who's who with the wheel gun may not be good at lifting off the tire. Yeah. Uh, so finding the right person. Yeah. Secondly, it's practice and sure. doing it over and over. Mm-hmm. Third, it's analysis. They video. And by the way, they practice about 1,500 times during the season. Oh my gosh. At the factory, at the circuit. Um, thirdly wow. is, um, uh, forgot what third was going to be. Because uh, okay. <laughs> I had another thought, and that was, yeah. and this is important for today's world, yeah. that these guys are not full time just doing that. They're engineers, they're mechanics, they're analysts. Interesting. So this is an, another job they do, and it's the training they get, the physical training, the mental training. Yeah. To be consistent, uh, which is important, that they don't yeah. break down in pressure of the moment. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Uh, so all of those relate to a lot of the things that we we do with teams now mm. and trying to make sure that clarity of roles and responsibilities mm-hmm. that the right people are doing the right job yeah practicing it and learning to do it on the job uh, right physical and mental state in order to perform yeah. all those things come into it wow I, I i can't wait to to actually read this book because i th- this is like right up my my alley i i love the all of those things together just to, you know the, the the teamwork putting the right people in the right seats and 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 doing the right job um yeah this is this is fascinating wow well if let's transition though to, mm-hmm. to exploding turkeys because <laughs> i gotta ask you like how how did how did you get the title of that book and talk a little bit about the book and and if you've got a handy let's hold oh, yeah. like, that up let, too so let, let me let me do that yeah, the shameless, shameless plug. plug. I love it. Yeah, it's go. not a shameless plug. It's 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 yeah, it's great. It's Exploding book. turkeys and, and here's the turkey on the back. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no, someone no. someone who had did a, done a review called me the Indiana Jones of cultural adventures. Ah, oh, so I love I, it. I've taken that uh, into yeah. reality. Use that as um, your brand. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the title. I must give credit to my publisher, Allison Jones, for coming up with this uh, because. Nice. It relates to two stories. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you the first one, the exploding yeah. turkeys. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, when my wife and I and the kids moved to Istanbul, we wanted to have a Thanksgiving celebration for my team. Sure. Uh, and we also were asked when we came to take on uh, a maid uh, who the previous person in that apartment building had. And it's very customary in Turkey for you know, CEOs to have, I had a driver, you know, sure, it was a very heady time for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so Aisha came on board and Aisha didn't speak any English, but she was good. She helped take care of our one-year-old. Mm-hmm. And for Thanksgiving, my wife went with Aisha to the butcher, but my wife did not know the word for turkey. Okay. In Turkey. Oh man. In Turkey. Yeah. She knew chicken. Okay. <laughs> so she ordered Iki Biyuk Tabukla, two big chickens. Okay. And the day came, people came over, we had the chickens in the oven. 
And uh, all of a sudden, we heard these explosions. Oh my gosh. And these two big chickens were exploding in the, in the <laughs> oven. And that's where the exploding turkeys come from. Yes. <laughs> because the butcher, because she emphasized buyuk, big, uh-huh. he had injected water under the skin oh, no. of the chickens. And the water <laughs> boiled in the oven and exploded. Oh, my gosh. Well, we put together the dinner and everything worked out fine. But here, I labeled that the story irony, Mm. because here's the irony. Neither of us were at that point very good with Turkish, but we were getting better. Sure. And I'm embarrassed to say we didn't know Aisha's surname. We just knew her as Aisha. Aisha Hanum is the the honorific, you say. And she came at 8 in the morning, left at 6 in the evening. Finally, after Thanksgiving, we learned her surname. Okay. And it was the word Hindi, Aisha Hindi, okay. which is the Turkish word for Turkey. For Turkey. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah. uh, Isn't that crazy? That, that's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> but David, the book came about because during the pandemic, I was home. I was working with this group of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 coaches, which I'm very yeah. proud to be a member of. Yeah. And we were doing work supporting each other in LinkedIn. And so every, we said, let's write some articles and such, or not articles, but stories on LinkedIn. So yeah. I started to tell stories about yeah. my career Yeah. Uh, from New York, from London, from everywhere. And for each one, I kind of tried to find a lesson, a life mm. lesson or a business lesson. Yeah. And as they became more popular and I was getting a lot of likes, um, someone suggested, why don't you create a book? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and so... There are 53 short stories. They're all one page. Yeah. And on the other side of the page, there's a, a photo or a graphic. I'll just put this up so yeah, you yeah. can see. They're all Love it. like that. Yeah. And uh, I about 25 I've already published on LinkedIn, and the rest are stories which have never made it onto LinkedIn. And they're so divided cool. up into sections about leadership or communications or yeah. Serendipity is a big word. A lot of crazy things happen in life that you wouldn't expect to happen. And they right. mean a lot, particularly right. in hindsight. So I wrote some of those stories as well. Well, I'd love to hear like one of those serendipity stories because sometimes I think those stories are fascinating and 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 maybe you know a corresponding lesson. I'd love to 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 hear one of those if you've got one off the top of your head. Well, um John Wooden. Coach John Wooden, he's oh. coach UCLA, he oh, yeah. one of the great minds. Yes. You know, he, he had a famous saying that, you know, you haven't had a perfect, perfect day until you've helped someone who couldn't repay you. Yeah. Hmm. So the story I tell, and I don't really refer to Wooden, but it was in my mind when I told the story. Sure. I was on a flight from, might have been from Pittsburgh, actually. Oh, to really? <laughs> Charleston, West Virginia. Oh, cool. And I was seeing a company in, in West Virginia, who was a client of mine, yeah. department store chain. And uh, I sat down next to this young boy who had a piece of paper in his hand, very nervous. So to calm him down, I started to ask questions. How are you? And he said, I just enlisted in the Navy and I'm reporting to duty. Oh, and wow. I, these are my orders. And right then I knew we had a problem. I took out the magazine from the seat pocket in front of us. I opened the map and I told him that I showed him that Charleston, and we were in the air already. We were flying. Oh man. That Charleston, West Virginia is landlocked. They cannot (laughs) be the naval base. 
Uh, <laughs> and in fact, he was he wanted to get to Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. And uh, I called over the flight attendant, and the airline was incredible. They, by the time we landed, they had already found a reroute for him to get really? him to the correct Charleston. Oh my um, gosh. And uh, in time for a reporting duty yeah. on his first day. And oh my gosh. so referring back to what I said about Wooden, it was one of those moments where I didn't get his name. I yeah. never heard from him. But I sure. had this great feeling that I did a good deed. Yeah. Uh, and it was a perfect day in that sense. Oh, man, I love that. That is so that is so great. I mean, you know, uh, how many opportunities do we have that sometimes if we if we if we don't pay attention, we can miss them and we can miss those opportunities to make somebody's day better. Well, I have another story about make someone's day. Um, uh, and it's, it's going to sound a little foo-foo, but my wife and I were invited to Buckingham Palace for a cocktail. I love it. <laughs> when we were living in London. Yeah. And it was to honor and actually raise money for the National Youth Theater. Mm, okay. And uh, Prince Edward was the host. So I got to meet him and he asked for a copy of the Formula One book, yeah. uh, which I sent the next day to his nice. assistant. And <laughs> I don't know if he read it, but I, he never wrote back. Yeah. Uh, but there were other celebrities at this. And there was one guy named Ronnie Corbett. Mm. Now, he wouldn't be known to American audiences, but he's extremely well known to British audiences as mm. a comic very short guy. Um, and uh, I went up to him and I said, Mr. Corbett, you don't know how important you are to bankers. And he had no idea what I meant. Yeah. And I reminded him that back in the 80s and into the 90s, he had a partnership with John Cleese from Monty Python. Oh, right. Yeah. And they made films about accounting. And John Cleese was the stupid businessman and this little short Ronnie Corbett, who was maybe five foot, yeah. uh, was the expert, you know, saying why you can't do this with your receivables or your assets or whatever. Sure. And I showed them when I was teaching in London and I showed them for many years uh, okay. as basic good films and videos now uh, to teach basic accounting and working capital and a, a little bit of that. Yeah. So I said, thanks to you and John Cleese, you know, you have helped train thousands and thousands of bankers. Worldwide. Bankers, yeah. And he, uh, he said, uh, you know, I had forgotten all about that. And he raised his glass and we clinked our glasses. And he said to me, thank you. You've made my day. That's awesome. And that's such a nice thing to say. Yeah. You've made my day. Oh man, that, that is, that is so cool. That is so good. Well, and you know, I, I think that a lot of leaders forget that helping to make somebody's day is really, I think it's part of their job. It's, 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 it, as a servant leader, we've got to be able to look for those opportunities, right? Oh. I mean, complimenting, you know, we used to say it's, you know, a non-cash reward, mm. you know, and it sounds a little bit cynical if we put it that way, but it's true. It, it's yeah. people need encouragement yeah. at the right time, mm -hmm. in the right way. Yeah. If it's too often and it's too phony, it doesn't yeah. come across authentic. So it has to be done, done really well. Right. I tell another story in the book, Exploding Turkeys, about working in Uzbekistan. Okay, yeah. And I was trying with the European Union and a few other countries to build a bank training center to train bankers in Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. 
And I was working with a very senior banker, the head of the National Bank of Uzbekistan, who was also very close to the president of, who was kind of a king in in Uzbekistan at the time. And we got to know each other uh, fairly well. Uh, Playing tennis together was helpful. Oh, nice. uh, In Tashkent, Uzbekistan. But he invited me to inaugurate his company, his bank's sauna, or sauna. Yeah, yeah. Finland, we say sauna. Sauna, yeah, that's right. And uh, we had a lovely evening with various people. There's a very professional way that people in that those countries manage a banquet. They become toastmasters. Oh yeah. And they they introduce everyone and they say a comment, and then after the toast, you have to say a comment and toast back. And it, I can remember it, even though I was quite filled with the vodka. <laughs> the, the, the comment he made, he said, "Ken, you know, bankers, World Bank, the IMF, others, are talking to us about lending us." millions and billions of dollars to help us develop our economy. But the work that you and I have done Mm. to help train and teach bankers is more valuable to us than any money they can give us. You know, and I rode on on a high for weeks after that because he didn't have to say that. Yeah, right. You know, so well-timed, well-said compliment or, or support goes really, really strongly to help people yeah. you know, carry on and move forward. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, Ken, you you mentioned um, earlier in our conversation, uh, Marshall Goldsmith, and you're, you're part of his, um, I forget what it, it says. 100, 100 coaches. Yeah, 100 coaches, exactly. How, how, how has, has coaching impacted your life and really your own growth growth process? You know, I come at it in a way in that I'm not a professional accredited coach, uh-huh. but all my life I've been coaching. Yes, right, right. I've been mentoring. And yes. they may not be the same thing, actually. We can right. have to go into that now. Yeah. But, you know, as you develop talent, yeah. you're really coaching. Right. And as you work with your peers and your colleagues who come for advice, you're coaching. Yeah. Now, there is a skill, there is a professional profession Mm -hmm. called coaching, executive coaching, which is becoming very crowded, by the way, right now. Right, right. Uh, But they're all trying to do the same things. Mm -hmm. They're they're trying to help develop skills in people to help others. Right. Help leaders deal with the complexity that they have to resolve and solve every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marshall, when he turned 70, you know, he's, he's one of the most prolific writers out there. He's most yes. one of the wonderful coaches of senior executives at Ford, at World Bank, and other places. He wanted to give away his knowledge as a legacy. Mm. So he created 100 coaches. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it got more than 100. Uh, but when I applied, 16,000 people applied. Wow. And he chose 160. Wow. So I was very honored. And we're not all full-time coaches. Uh, About 60% are probably coaches and the rest are business people or Mm -hmm. people who do other things like I've done it. So uh, I've been involved with this community now about two years Uh and it's very supportive. Um, Mm. I just love the learning that we do from each other. 
because um, that's the nature of coaching. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. It's about helping someone else learn, but in the process, you're learning. You're learning too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've learned a lot. And, you know, we spent two days with Marshall at the beginning of the process and okay. he just shared, you know, and everything he has is available. If you go to his websites, yeah. you can read and see all of his stories, all of his ideas, all of his tools mm. and exercises. Um, and I've incorporated some of those into my work as well. I love it. I love it. Ken, uh, I, I appreciate all of the stories you've you've shared because I mean your your life is fascinating and your journey is has been fascinating and you've got so many so many stories but so many lessons from those stories and I think that that's the value is is to be able to hear a story and then correlate a lesson or a learning. And I think that if I were to encourage those of us who are listening and, and listening to people like you, you know, I just want to encourage all of us to look at our experiences in, in, in ways that we can get something from it and grow from it. And I think you've helped us uh, in, in all of the stories that you shared today to be able to do that and really to think more deeply into our own personal growth. So thank you. Thank you for, for sharing uh, with us today. It's been my pleasure. And, you know, the one thing which I try to do in this book is to keep it short. Yeah. We're bombarded with so much. Yeah. And, and by the way, when I wrote these stories, LinkedIn had a 1300 character limit, oh, right. which is no longer the case. Yeah. So even on LinkedIn now, you wonder, do I really want to continue and read this story as it's getting longer and longer? Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, I think you know, when someone said brevity is the something <laughs> of which. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so I tried to keep them short. And of course, you can go deeper always yeah. with every yeah. story. So I hope people enjoy them. Absolutely. Uh, and the book, by the way, is an ebook form, Kindle, okay. Okay, paperback, cool. yeah. and it's also uh, an audio book. Oh, nice. Uh, and I had a new learning experience. I narrated it myself. Oh, how about that? I bet that was, that, that, that had to be really uh, an interesting scary. journey. <laughs> it was scary. <laughs> scary. <laughs> uh, but it was fun in the end. So that's uh, so cool. I would uh, be happy if people were, wanted to follow up. So how do they, yeah, how do, how do people get a hold of you? How do they connect with you? How do they get the book, books actually? Because I want to encourage them to get both because I think uh, both are super valuable. Well, the easiest thing to say, of course, is Amazon. Uh, sure. And just type in my name, Ken Pasternak, and you'll get there. Okay. Um, my website is kppasternak.com. Okay. K-P-Pasternak, P-A-S-T-E-R-N-A-K. And there you'll see more about what I've been doing both with the book and also with the Formula One. Awesome. And there's ways to contact me uh, through my website. Oh, fantastic. And I will make sure that we put the, the all of those links in the show Great. notes. So if, uh, if people are doing something else, if they're working out, if they're driving and they, they can't uh, write that down, it'll be in the show notes. So uh, hopefully they'll go to those show notes and, and just they, all they have to do is click on that link. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, David. Thank you so much. Well, Ken, thank you so much for being here. It's it's really been an honor to have you and, and appreciate all of your, your time. Well, I hope that you enjoyed Ken's stories as much as I did. You know, there's something about a great story that also has a, a, a lesson to it as well. And, you know, one of the stories that he talked about was just the the, the case for walking in someone else's shoes and and being able to understand something from another person's perspective. You know, I think that 
being able to travel and travel the globe like Ken has uh, really is important for leaders to be able to experience at least some level of, of travel because when we get to other cultures, when we get to uh, other geographies, other places, it really expands our world and it expands our, our thought process. And I, I think that that is such a key uh, takeaway for me anyway in, in this conversation with Ken. You know, the other thing that I really learned from Ken, and, and I, I've, I've talked about this a lot with uh, our emerging leader inner circle, but it is the importance of listening and being able to be truly present and listening for what is being said and what's being not said. And then the, the other thing that Ken talked about for leaders was was practicing the yes and you know in in improv there's a, there's a uh, a tool or a technique for someone to add on to something and to be able to say yes and rather than yeah but <laughs> and I, I i loved that that uh conversation and lesson uh in in that part of the the conversation but I also have to say that I really loved the lessons on performance from his experience with Formula One racing. I mean, such great teamwork lessons. I mean, can you imagine practicing changing a tire that many thousands of times and, and then making sure that we have the right person in the right spot? I, I just really, really love that. You know, as leaders, it's really important for us to to look at the people that we lead and, and help them to see their potentials, help them to see the good things that are within them. And I loved how Ken talked about uh, his encounter at Buckingham Palace and, 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 and how that made uh, someone's day. And I just think that when, as leaders, we can help our people have a great day and have a perfect day. And even when they can't repay us, how important that is. And so I really uh, loved this conversation and really loved the lessons that Ken shared. And I, I do hope that you will uh, check out the show notes and and go uh, find Ken's books uh, on Amazon or wherever you buy books because it's uh, they're, they're both really, really great. So before we go, I just want to encourage you to make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. And if you go out and, and rate and review the podcast, it would mean the world to me. And just so you know how to do it, if you're on the Apple Podcast app, essentially you just click on In the Growth Space, uh, the, the, the show, and then scroll down a little bit and then you'll see the, the rating and reviews. And I would love it if you would go ahead and, and, and write just a, a short note of, of what you think about the podcast. And be sure to check out next week's episode when I interview Chris Martin, who is the CEO of Atlas Marketing, and we have a great conversation about growth and leadership lessons and leadership growth in his own company and how he has grown as a CEO. So make sure that you don't miss that episode. And until next time, stay in that growth space and be well.